Well, after battling through the security and um, almost losing my mic, this week's podcast is in a very special building. Uh, We're at the Houses of Parliament as part of our coverage of LGBT History Month. The doors of the um, Parliament here in the heart of London have been opened up and there will be some special tours taking place exploring our LGBT past. And I'm joined by two people who call this place their office. (laughs) Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Emma Stevenson. I'm the Education and Engagement <laughs> Campaigns Manager and I'm also co-chair of Out, which is the Workplace Equality Network supporting LGBT plus people across Parliament. And? I'm Penny McMahon. I work in the archives as the Outreach Archivist. Fantastic. So, I mean, the echo in this room is spectacular. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit just about the where we are, where we're standing at the minute and what are we looking at? Because it's all pretty spectacular. Oh, well, we're currently in Westminster Hall, which is one of the oldest parts of the Palace of Westminster. Work began here in 1094, if I'm remembering correctly. Most of the building dates from kind of 1835 onwards because... The medieval palace of Westminster was burned down in a tallystick fire in 1834. So is this where the tours begin then? Is this what the first thing people will see when they come to take part in the LGBT? And also there's other tours as well, Emma, which you can tell us about. Yes, so the LGBT plus history tours, they're run by Visit Parliament. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'll all meet here and then you'll go through each of the rooms and explore quite a colourful LGBT plus history. <laughs> it's fair to say, yes, it has a, had a, a, a colourful past. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way to put it. There's also some scandal, some intrigue, if that gets you going. <laughs> <laughs> and for you guys nowadays, what's it like to work in this building and to walk through those doors every single morning? Because you as an archivist, presumably studied history, you must think, crikey, I'm now working in a building that has got so much of what I heard about while studying. Yeah, absolutely. The building itself, you almost feel starstruck by it when you kind of first come in. Um, It takes you a little while to kind of get over it. Yeah, it's fascinating. The stories and the history behind it um, never fail to amaze me. It really touches kind of every kind of community in the UK and every single region in the UK is kind of covered by the archives that we have here and and the building itself. Well, I have been only about a handful of times, not very many times here, and the last time I was here was July, and do you know what? This building was no warmer. It was still absolutely (laughs) freezing. So I think, are we happy to go into another room and have a chat just about the the tour and about this place's um, interesting past? Absolutely. So whose idea was it then to allow people to come in and to open up this amazing building and explore its LGBT past? Was that something that came from Parley Out, Emma, or something more from you, Penny, who kind of discovered all this history that's been untold here? Is there, Or was that collaboration, perhaps? Yeah, I think probably collaboration. I think there's a lot of kind of... There's a drive in the house at the minute to kind of explore this history a bit more. Um, I know in kind of the campaigns team, we want to like explore the histories that aren't really 
documented in the media, I think, like the headlines aren't the LGBT history. So I think mm. it's that kind of, it's an institution-wide thing at the minute to kind of like explore the history that we have. I think that's really important. And are you talking about the history that you have, particularly with this building or, uh, you know, politically throughout the UK? I think it all, because mm -hmm. the history of this building affects everything in the UK. It affects the LGBT community. It is our his It is the community's history starts here. Mm. A lot of the, obviously, the laws, the campaign, and it's still going. Northern Ireland marriage equality that came about because of, like, tireless campaigning, but then also support of mm -hmm. uh, Conor McGinn and Laura Hayward. So I think, like, that history is still happening. Mm -hmm. We're still making that history. There's still kind of equality to be achieved. I think exploring that, documenting that, kind of reminding people how that history came about. So the laws, like, the archives too, is really interesting to see sort of like how that history pieced together mm -hmm. and how long it took as well. Like I'm sure yeah, there's there's a piece of legislation from Henry the Eighth yeah. or something and like it dates that far back. So to remember that that sort of like battle for equality is ongoing. And Penny, where do you start whenever you're beginning to create that jigsaw yeah. that's going to be interesting to people today? That's that's the key thing, isn't it? With the LGBT legislative research, one of the hardest things really is looking at the language that's used because language changes sort of throughout the throughout history. Mm -hmm. So for example, the, the Henry VIII Act that Emma was referring to is the Buggery Act. Now when you're looking at sort of LGBT plus history, you might not necessarily be thinking, oh I'll just search search mm -hmm. the catalogue for buggery and kind of see what comes up kind mm -hmm. of thing. That's a real barrier really and it's kind of getting into the mindset of what were they thinking about when they were creating these laws and that's that's one of the kind of big issues really around it but essentially you're kind of working on what the laws are so essentially you start with sort of looking at kind of how laws changed mm -hmm. and then you look at why laws changed so you look at the reasons behind that and one of the really nice things that we have in the archive is the Hansard debate. So that's things that were said in Parliament. So you can look at the arguments for and against certain legislation and you can look at why people were pushing for certain things. And I think that's really important when you sort of go back and you sort of wonder why, why would somebody ever kind of pass this law and what were they thinking? What was the reason behind that? And often it's so, so different from kind of what you think it would be. Oh, the mindset of people yeah. creating those laws then. It must be fascinating to yeah. read all that stuff. I'm with horror in today's eyes, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So one of the interesting things is that same-sex uh, sexual relationships between women have never been illegal in this country, but there was a law that was debated in Parliament in 1821 where they were sort of considering banning it. So you can look at the debates on Hansard about why they were thinking about banning it and why they decided to not pass this act. And the reason that they decided to not pass this act is that they didn't want to raise the awareness that this was a possibility for women. They thought that actually if more women knew about it, then more women would do it. So that by talking about it and by giving it kind of this status that... Um, they would encourage people to do it more. And I suppose in them days, that debate <laughs> would never have seen the light of day. 
No, well, it would have done, yeah. It would have done, yeah. Yeah, so um, Hansard um, would have been typed up and it would have been disseminated kind of across the country, so people could have seen it, yeah. Right. And how far back then does the tour go? Where's the furthest we go? So the archive tour, it begins in 1533 and then we end on a piece of artwork that was created in 2015 by an artist called Jez Dolan Mm -hmm. who translated the Wolfenden report into Polari. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Wolfenden report. Well, I am, but let's just explain (laughs) what, what it is. So the Wolverton Report was a report that was published in 1957 and it was basically kind of analysing the legislation around same-sex sexual relationships and whether kind of it should be decriminalised or whether the um, punishment should be changed or the law should be changed around it. The reason for this was because actually there was a, there was kind of a witch hunt atmosphere. So at the time that this was being the Wilfenden was published, over a thousand men a year were being arrested under kind of Victorian legislation. Mm. The same legislation that um, Oscar Wilde was prosecuted under. So that's quite a lot of men's lives that are essentially being kind of ruined by them being sent to prison. And they were being set up, many yeah, of them. Were, yeah, yeah, definitely. Sort of collusion between the police and yeah, and you can really see that in kind of quite high-profile trials, trials such as um, the Lord Montague and Peter Wilde blood trial. Let me know if I'm going to kind of obscure. Well, I think, I mean, all this stuff is fascinating and, and they're all kind of names and things that, that you've heard of as a gay person over yeah. the years. But I think the podcast itself is, is a, a starting point for people, if they're interested, to come and learn more in yeah. the tour. So keep chatting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Lord Montague and Peter Wildblood, basically they went off for a weekend and they had what sounds like a very nice time with um, (laughs) two REF gentlemen and the police in the end kind of arrested them all and the two REF men were turned state evidence and they went after Peter Wildblood who was a kind of well-known journalist at the time and Lord Montague who was a member of the House of Lords and essentially they were kind of deliberately going after these high-profile individuals to almost make examples out of them. And Lord Montague and Peter Wellblood were both sentenced to prison and they both served their prison sentence. Peter Wellblood, when he was when he came out of prison, he released a book called Against the Law, where he kind of is basically his biography and he kind of talks about his life and really kind of addresses his homosexuality in in that. So there was a number of these trials and that's just one example of them. But these were happening and really forced people to kind of take a look at the laws and what kind of potentially needed change. So they appointed um, this committee that was chaired by a gentleman called Wolfenden. And Wolfenden took kind of several years um, and gathered a huge amount of evidence and actually the only openly gay man to give evidence was Peter Wildblood. So again, he was putting himself on on the line at this stage and really was kind of a great kind of gay Mm. advocate as opposed, well, not to criticise Lord Montague, but Lord Montague didn't really ever publicly say anything about kind of his homosexuality Mm. and he did return to the House of Lords after going to prison, but he never spoke about his homosexuality or 
about how he thought about his sexuality. He really only spoke about cars in the House of Lords. It's really, it's really bizarre. Like, cause I've, had a, I've had a search of Hansard, and really he was only very passionate about cars, um, according to according to Hansard. So, yeah. Cars, sorry, is probably the most masculine thing you can think about talking about in them days. So he's like, yeah, this will put them off the scent. So, so Wolfenden kind of published this report, and in the po- report he recommended that that the laws kind of around same-sex sexual relationships between two men was decriminalised. And that report really... Parliament didn't address it, they didn't really acknowledge it, um, and an act wasn't introduced until 1967. So it took a really long time for that to get passed, and there was kind of two individuals, so, um, one individual called Lord Aaron in the House of Lords and another one called Leo Abzi in the House of Commons who kept on introducing these bills to decriminalise mm-hmm. it and they kept on getting kind of shot down. And between the two of them, it's quite nice because one's Conservative and one's Labour. Mm-hmm. So between the two, it's this cross-party working that I quite enjoy. <laughs> so between the two of them, they kind of managed to like sponsor this bill and kind of get it passed between the two houses and it eventually passes in 1967 when you have partial decriminalisation in England and Wales. So partial decriminalisation means it's only legal in private to carry out mm-hmm. kind of same-sex um, sexual acts. So it excluded things like hotels. Mm-hmm. So men would deliberately go to hotels to, to as protests to get arrested. So actually what happened as a result of this act being passed is the arrests went up. So still a long way to go in 1967. But yeah, sort of a step in the right direction. Yeah, cer- certainly a milestone, I think. Certainly, you know, when yeah. you're looking at, you know, your LGBT past, that is definitely one of the milestones. Um, what does that story look like then as part of the tour? I mean, how do you bring that to, to life here? Is there any of the Hansard documents? Is it, you know, in, in terms of what people may see when they come here, what what's it like? So part of the archive tour is that we'll bring out the original 1967 Act, we'll bring out the Wolfenden Report. We also try to look at sort of key individuals. So, for example, we bring out letters that were written kind of about Lord Montague and Peter Wildblood in the event of them kind of being arrested. So what people were saying, essentially, when they were writing to each other about it, so as the scandal was breaking. So the legislation, the reports, and kind of the, the people and characters around it, we tried to kind of bring those out. Yeah. One of the things I really liked on the archive tour is a Hansard debate, and it's led by Lord Fowler, who is now Speaker of the House of Lords. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time HIV and AIDS was ever mentioned. And there's, I think it's Diane Abbott and Jeremy Corbyn, they support, like, kind of take an action against this. What year are we talking about there, then? That must be... That one is 1986, if I'm remembering correctly. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it seems that was right in the height of the yeah. epidemic. Yeah, and the first time it was ever mentioned in either chamber. Mm-hmm. And I think having those figures still in Parliament, I think that is kind of an indication of that kind of continuing history and bringing, bringing this legislation to light. It was these people who supported it mm-hmm. and supported the change of laws, which obviously happened a few years later. (laughs) It must be fascinating for you bringing in, as part of your remit about education, bringing in younger people and introducing them to all this um, uh, legislation and history. 
Yeah, because I, I think there can be a tendency to be quite complacent about rights. I think, you know, there's elements or parts of the LGBT plus community which have quite comfortable rights now. And I think remembering that struggle and remembering that fight and kind of how that is ongoing. And I heard a really nice quote from Baroness Barker the other day, like, lesbians abseiled into the House of Lords to protest Section 28 and now they walk through the front door. Mm. And I think that's really nice. Yes. I think remembering that and kind of remembering how far we've come and how we got there is really important to kind of a younger generation who are fighting for new rights now, maybe. There's kind of like everything around gender equality, um, gender diversity, sorry. Um, and how that affects a younger generation, they're going to have to fight that fight again in a way. And it's like a lot of it is history repeating itself, especially the debates around it. So I think it's quite inspiring to see how we got there the first time mm. and how we'll get there this time as well. And I know this chat's not in any way political, although we're sitting in the heart of government, but, you know, there's a, there's a very serious point to that in that, you know, the politics and the, the yeah. you know, the atmosphere we're living in at the minute globally is very divisive. So yeah. some people, there mm -hmm. is a concern among some people that things are moving backwards somewhere yeah. in some parts of the world. I think it's just important to remember that history. I think that's what it is. We, the community, the LGBT plus community, influenced Parliament going back to Henry VIII. Mm. Um, we have to do it again. You have to raise these issues. If there's something you don't like, get in touch with an MP, get in touch with a member of the House of Lords, give evidence to a select committee. There was a, a select committee inquiry on LGBT health inequalities quite recently. Though you, anyone can give evidence to that, mm -hmm. just share your experience, no matter how insignificant you think it is, it's all evidence to say, this is an issue, you have to address it. That is how we won equality once, mm -hmm. and it's how we, we need to keep influencing politics, because LGBT rights are politicised. There's often two sides mm -hmm. to to the debate, which isn't right, but it's the way it is. And the community, and it is on the community, to influence parliament and say, look, we're not going anywhere yeah. until we've won equality. That's how we did it last time. That's how we'll do it again. And do you think having a um, group like Parley Out in the heart of Parliament and the heart of this building has helped that in any way or driven it forward? Oh, completely. I mean, Polly out are one of five workplace equality networks, and I think they've worked really hard to make the people who work in Parliament as diverse as they are. And I think there's preconceptions about the people who work in Parliament, and that is not true. Like, I didn't, certainly didn't expect to kind of walk in on my first day and see rainbow lanyards everywhere. Mm -hmm. And Polly Out's aim is to make the LGBT community visible and more accessible. And I think by doing that, we've also gained access to management and things like that. Like, I'm on the Commons Leadership Forum, so meet with the clerk of the House of Commons every month and can raise LGBT issues directly mm. to quite a senior stakeholder. So it's just kind of this like collaboration between the community in Parliament, which is 
a big community and we are now the gayest parliament in the world. So I think it's there's kind of like it's a two-way relationship where we've built this visibility of the LGBT community and in response we now have more influence on the institution itself. How do you think uh, our forefathers would have reacted to that? <laughs> <laughs> Reading hands sound funny. Um, <laughs> I'm intrigued to know what they were talking about in the 1500s. What part of the tour? Tell us about that. Oh, gosh. Oh, so the 1533 Buggery Act. It's a really interesting piece of legislation. So essentially it, it, it sends people to, to death for sodomy. And it's not just two men, it's sodomy in general, so it could be between a man and a woman, and also kind of bestiality as well. Sorry, that was a bit of a tone change, but it's not a nice piece of legislation. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a nice piece of legislation. Um, it also also deprived people of their lands and titles as well. So actually, it was kind of a way... It's, you could accuse somebody of that, and basically the Crown could then seize their lands. It's very powerful, because it would be quite difficult to prove or disprove yeah, yes. that, so it actually could be used in a very kind of political, kind of chess-playing sort of way to sort of get what you wanted. And really. was it used? Yeah. It was. So, yeah. It, so it was actively used often? It wasn't actively used often, but it was there and it was in the statute books and it remained on the statute books until 1828 when a new piece of legislation came in and that it still meant that sodomy was illegal. It just changed it from being a capital offence to a prison sentence, essentially. Right, okay. I know it's shocking, isn't it? It's kind of hard to hard to believe that because there's the. I'm just thinking, how would you prove it? I'm just thinking mm. it's it's one of those things that just could never be proven, could it? <laughs> Probably like people were set up. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, it's it sounds like it it was one of those to get revenge on someone, perhaps. Yeah. Or well, it's quite interesting because. The examples that you see, they're generally kind of used against kind of priests and nuns. So if you imagine this period in history, it's sort of the very beginning of the Church of England. Mm -hmm. um, so it's quite difficult kind of in terms of religious... It's a kind of religious, tumultuous time, if that makes sense. And so that was kind of where it was used most, actually, is against priests and nuns. That's a very good point, actually. I suppose we have to look at every piece of legislation that you're talking about in the context of society yeah. at the time. So, of course, that would have been, yeah. you know, much more relevant then or, or important to people then, yeah. rather. Yeah, absolutely. So up until 1828, that was on the books. And then gradually, kind of through the sort of 1800s, the sort of punishment was kind of decreased. So it was kind of lesser and lesser jail sentences. So quite positive changes up until... The Labouche Amendment in 1885, it's an amendment that's on a piece of legislation that isn't really to do with same-sex relationships at all. But what this amendment does is that instead of it just being about kind of sodomy, it actually now makes it illegal for any piece of kind of any bit of same-sex activity between mm -hmm. two men now is illegal. And that's the piece of legislation that Oscar Wilde was prosecuted by. It was kind of becoming decriminalised during kind of that time and then the, what you could get arrested for was expanded and widened in right. 1885. So. Interesting, yeah, really interesting period. I suppose it's, it's one part of the tour, but people are 
I suppose if you're going to try and attract younger people to to the tours as well, they're they're much more interested in what's happening in recent history and this place. And it's it is so divisive for LGBT people because it's created so much discrimination with policies, but also opportunity. And you mentioned yeah. the Equality um, Act in Northern Ireland, which would not have happened except for the having no government there yeah. and it being passed here. Exactly. Yeah. It's. I think because it is so party, well, not even party political, it is so political, mm. it can be easy to focus on the negatives of, and also the negatives tend to be the headlines, and that kind of is the news that dominates. But there is so much good, the theme of History Month this year is poetry, prose and plays. Mm. There's so much pro-LGBT plus prose in in both chambers, I think it's quite easy to find that history. So regularly, LGBT plus issues are on the table in the House of Commons or the House of Lords. But I think sometimes it flies under the radar. Mm -hmm. It's kind of not given that same focus as if it's if it's anti-LGBT policy. You know, the, the support is there we probably need more support and changing issues mean we need different support. But I think that history is ongoing. Mm. You know, there's so many more LGBT plus MPs now and that history will like continue to develop when they start like having their say in the debates. So I think that's actually going to be really interesting that new voice mm -hmm. yeah. in the House of Commons in particular. Yeah. And for you, a part of the tour then, how much of it is about all this legislation and about changes in the law and how much of it is about the scandals and the gossip that happened <laughs> in the corridors? Because that's what I think people really want to hear about, isn't it? Um, I'd, say, I'd say it's probably... Well, we've got to stick to the legislation, but the legislation—I'll cut that bit. The legislation is kind of driven by the scandals. It's driven by by what's going on, um, kind of culturally. And just to sort of add to what Emma said, is think one of the nicest kind of Hansard speeches I've ever read is Lord Ali, um, mm -hmm. when he was speaking about the sexual offences bill when it was mm -hmm. going through, and he just has this really good speech. And I'm going to quote him badly, so excuse me, but he sort of says. I can't remember how old he is at the time, but he's kind of like, well, I'm 47, I was gay when I was 37, I was gay when I was tw 27, I was gay when I was 21, when I was 20, when I was 19. And he just kind of counts back and he was just like, I was never confused. I was gay when I was mm. 16. It's not fair that there is this, because um, the Sexual Offences Bill is about parity between kind of consent between heterosexual and homosexual mm. couples. And he's just basically saying it's not fair that there is difference between how the, the age of consent for heterosexual and homosexual couples mm -hmm. and him talking firsthand about his experience yeah. and how he feels is really um it's really moving i think it, i think it is really moving and it's quite rare for people to talk about their own personal experiences. Yeah. Yes, because you mentioned the other, the Lord that went to prison not so long ago and he, he talked about cars because <laughs> yeah, well. he wasn't prepared to put his head above the parapet, yeah. whereas, you know, a different generation and yeah. they, they, you know, they now are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so there's just, 
loads of kind of positive stories mm-hmm. in there. But yeah, unfortunately, it sort of comes from this not great kind of legislative past. Like Parliament are running other LGBT tours of kind of the parliamentary estate mm-hmm. for History Month. And that's probably a bit juicier because there's some statues and things like around the chambers of men who were allegedly gay and it's kind of like oh like this is this guy and there's the guy he had an affair with so it's (laughs) (laughs) that's the juicier one (laughs) but also i think the the public will be familiar with kind of the jeremy thorpe kind of stories and and all that i mean again you know that brought down a government but you know equally he in the movie or in the you know the series you see you know Mm. he brought that right to the heart of this building yeah, well. absolutely. I don't know how true that is. Do you know how true that is? Well, um, in the archive, we have a, a really stunning photograph of Jeremy Thorpe and he's all cheekbones and it's very mm. intense looking into the into the camera. Yeah, I think for me, what's really moving about that story is that at the time that that hit the headlines, the 1967 Sexual Offences Act had already been passed. I mean, technically it wasn't... What he was being blackmailed for wasn't illegal, but it's that idea of kind of society hasn't really almost kept up with the laws, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And there's this kind of lag. And just, you know, he was being blackmailed and what a desperate man does, what desperate people do in those situations. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just really sad. Mm. It's really sad. And a dog died. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amongst everything else, a dog died. (laughs) A dog died. Um, So we have this um, amazing photograph, but we don't have too many. So we talk about that in the tours. And we talk about kind of other people that were blackmailed. Prior to the 1967 Act being passed, if you were known to be um, homosexual or gay, you would um, lose your security clearance because mm-hmm. you were blackmailed. You were a risk at that stage. So there's loads of kind of stories about kind of people just kind of losing their careers over this. Just looking at kind of the progress, really, that mm-hmm. we've sort of eventually come to, that it's no longer yeah. it's no longer a risk to be gained that you will be blackmailed yeah well, of course as you say it's it's now the the gayest parliament in in the world yeah. i think is do you know how many mbs it's over 50 isn't there do you think it's important that they're there and and contribute you know contributing to to the debates that are yeah. that ordinarily they would have been removed from i think it is really important that they're in that debate because it goes back to this kind of like what if your son was gay what if your daughter was gay kind of mentality of when you see when you kind of put a face to that Mm. people can change their opinion or like soften their opinion and i just think that voice like that kind of community voice will be louder Mm -hmm. and more persistent because it's their rights it's those mps rights that they're fighting for I also think members of the LGBT plus community kind of have more recognition of other issues that they will also stand for. So I think that'll be hopefully quite a good influence on other debates and lead to more progressive policies and legislation. Mm, interesting. And, and the modern day stuff then as part of the tour, what what bits do we hear about then? Because obviously there's the Section 28 changes that happened and then there's the stuff that happened after that. Yes, we do talk a little bit about Section 28. Uh, We look at it in the context of the AIDS epidemic Mm. in terms of kind of 
a reaction to it and the idea of sort of blame, like this sort of blame culture. So we look particularly at Scotland for this. So Scotland only partially decriminalised same-sex relationships between two men in 1980. And in the mid-1980s, you have kind of an AIDS epidemic, in, in particularly in Edinburgh. And the reaction to that was kind of like, well, it's because we relaxed these laws. Um, and the actual reason behind it was because of heroin use and sharing of needles. But it sort of is that scapegoat society and looking to kind of the peripherals of society and blaming that sort of blame culture. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to the sort of idea of kind of society and culture kind of not moving on with kind of the laws at the same time, that there's still kind of a lot of work to do in terms of hearts and minds. So we look at Section 820 in that context. Um, but then we go on and we look at the Same Sex Marriages Act, which is kind of very positive. And again, sorry, I started telling you about the Jez Dolan Wolfenden artwork. So Jez Dolan is an artist and he translated the Wolfenden report into Polari. So Polari is a language that was used by gay men in Soho um, for them to kind of talk about their lifestyle and to sort of hook up really when it was still illegal. So they could have these conversations without kind of worrying about being arrested. And this was commissioned by Parliament in 2015 as part of kind of the Magna Carta celebrations, as part of celebrating our democracy. So I think it kind of shows kind of how far Parliament really has come mm-hmm. in terms of now kind of openly celebrating the community in the past. I think some people listening to this might be a bit frustrated about that. You know, the older listeners thinking, you know, God, I went through so much crap yeah. and now government and parliament is celebrating the nonsense and the the horrible dark days I went through. You know, there's, there's a real sense from talking to older people that, that's, that there's a feeling out there about that. Which, you know, it's valid, I suppose, yeah, isn't it? You know, yeah. they're allowed to feel that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean... Again, I would encourage people, if they want things to be remembered differently or if they want different things to happen, to sort of get in touch with their MPs, to contact the lords and baronesses um, and to sort of raise that with them because Parliament is here to kind of serve the public. So if you don't think that it's serving you, then get in touch and ask, sign a a petition, create a petition. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, the kind of influence on polio and the the LGBT plus community within Parliament, I think that's important to remember that the community is also in Parliament and kind of influencing these things. So it's, it's not sort of like the community on the outside looking in, we're here too. I feel it must be nice to see that at least there's an acknowledgement, you know, like I mean, of the, of the past mistakes. That's what yeah. they're basically doing by by creating that piece of artwork. They're saying actually, you know, it was ridiculous <laughs> what yeah. we were, what people were doing and thinking back then. So it's a, you know, it's a positive step, yeah. but there's still frustration by, yeah. that, by some. I mean, that history doesn't change. That it's history it, yeah. is fact, but it's how we kind of go forward mm. and celebrate that. I think it's fascinating speaking to people who we did a lot at my other job at um, marking the 50 years in the Decriminalisation Act and it's fascinating to speak to older people mm. who lived through that yeah. and, you know, that oh, we did a little tour of Soho and they said, yeah. you know, that would just be just a black door yeah. just down the stairs. Like, and, they're know. the inspiration, aren't they? They, they got us where we are. Yes. So yeah. those stories especially are to be treasured and to be learned from yeah. as well. Yeah. 
So we've come back out of the room into the big hall and it, who's best to explain? There are two different types of tours that people can go on if they're interested in visiting and learning a little bit more about the LGBT history of both Parliament and the UK. Yes, so the the LGBT plus History Month tour is run by visitor services in UK Parliament and that's more of kind of a general tour and history of the people rather than the legislation which the archives tour covers. So there's lots of statues kind of in the building itself and their stories, those people's stories are told on the LGBT history tour. It's kind of like who influenced um, either LGBT history or who was known to be LGBT. So it's that kind of personal exploration of the histories rather than the archive tours, which is more the, the legislation and that legislative journey to where we are today. Yes, and Penny, that's the one that you have been talking about, you know, really delving into the Hansard books and the, and the past legislation that's been passed here. So again, if you're wanting tickets for that, where can you go to? So again, you just need to go on the Visitor Service of Parliament's website and Visitor Services are organising our tours as well. Um, so yes. Fantastic. I think they are such a um, positive addition to LGBT History Month coverage. I think on their website there are around 500 different events that you can go to across the whole of the United Kingdom and I'm sure people will be really interested to come here. So thank you very much for for giving me a little bit of a tour. Well, I think that was an absolutely fascinating chat with Penny and Emma here from the Houses of Parliament. Remember to stay up to date with the latest from Up The Arts podcast by following us on social media, Up The Arts Show, or you can send me an email with your ideas of stories and plays and events happening across the UK by emailing me upthearts_podcast at hotmail.com and of course always please subscribe please tell your friends and family to subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you use so until next time I hope you enjoyed this programme from the heart of government until next time have a good day and stay safe <laughs>